0: On Monday, North Korea declared that the 1953 Korean War armistice was null and void. Is the Obama administration worried now that the Korean War is going to get a bloody second act 60 years after going into hibernation? Here's U.S. Director of National Intelligence James Clapper speaking to the Senate Intelligence Committee in rare open session yesterday. I personally, uh, having followed Korea uh, ever since I served there in the mid-80s as the Director of Intelligence for U.S. Forces Korea, I'm very concerned about uh, the the actions uh, of the new young leader and uh, very belligerent and the the rhetoric that has been emanating from the North Korean regime. The rhetoric, uh, while it is propaganda-laced, is also an indicator of their attitude and perhaps their intent. So uh, for my part, I am very concerned about... uh, What they might do, and they certainly, uh, if they so chose, could initiate a provocative action against the South. U.S. Director of National Intelligence James Clapper testifying, calling North Korea's nuclear weapons and missiles program for the first time a serious threat to the United States. Karin Lee joins us, Executive Director of the National Committee on North Korea, a foundation-funded committee of individuals committed to improving communication between North Korea and other nations, including the United States. Karin Lee, welcome.
1: Thank you very much for having me today.
0: How do you assess this null and void business with the 1953 armistice? My reading of history is I don't know if the North Koreans have ever really agreed to any post-war arrangement back in 1953. They agreed to stop fighting, but that was really it.
1: Well, the armistice took – over two years to negotiate, and uh, you're right that it was not entirely comprehensive. For example, it didn't set a maritime boundary, and that's one of the reasons we still have conflict over what's called the northern limit line today uh, uh, to the west of the peninsula. So the armistice was a long, protracted negotiation that was actually only signed by military leaders, not by political leaders, and it, it left a lot unaddressed.
0: So what do you make then of uh, North Korea ramping up the rhetoric here? Uh, Many observers have said it's the armistice, not the nuke rhetoric that is really disturbing.
1: Well, it's not the first time that they have withdrawn from the armistice or said that they're scuttling the armistice. So from that perspective, um, it, it, it's not all that new. There's been um, challenges to the armistice since the 1990s when um, when a South Korean commander was assigned to one of the committees and uh, that maintains the armistice and, and North Korea withdrew in protest. And then another one of the committees that oversees the armistice um uh, the representatives on the u.n side or the u.s side u.s south korea side were are sweden and switzerland but with the collapse of the um communist bloc poland and the czech was czechoslovakia and then later the czech republic north korea said you know they can't represent us anymore so the armistice has already had some holes pricked in it along the way um I don't necessarily see that as the most disturbing development. I I find it a little bit more uh, disturbing that the hotline between the North and South has been cut. That has been cut in the past as well. But at a time like this, when the military exercises are taking place, it's uh, useful to have as many avenues of communication between the two Koreas open as possible. So uh, I, I find that a little bit alarming.
0: Karn Lee, what do you make of the uh, analysis by some observers, uh, even on this program, that the South, with its new leadership, has to basically prove its hardline stance with the North and so is predisposed perhaps to responding to this maybe uh, more aggressively than they might otherwise have, again, inflaming this sense of tripwire?
1: Well, I would say that there's uh, – I, I would not see in any way uh, South Korea taking a preemptive aggressive action. What they have done this week um, uh, is – actually, I think they, they did this last week. They said that they, – they upped the uh, ante in terms of how they said they were going to respond because after the um, shelling of Yonghyeong-do Island in uh, 2010, they said – uh, the South Korean military was given permission to respond to the origin of a provocation by the North and its supporting forces without going up the chain of command. And so when they did that back in 2010, things it down really quickly because both China and the DPRK took that, uh, that announcement from the South very seriously. What they did last week was they said, we will also retaliate against the command leadership. So that would mean, for example, if there was a, another uh, provocation military action uh, down at the northern limit line, what they're saying is not only would we attack the base where the, where the shots came from or, or where the artillery fire came from, but we reserve the right to Determine who in the command leadership ordered those shots and strike mm. elsewhere, meaning Pyongyang. Now, now of course, North Korea took that statement very seriously, and it did drive a rhetorical, um, a, a, a kind of a rhetorical arms race, so to speak, that's taking place right now um, on the Korean Peninsula. But I saw that as President. Park, um, uh, new administration, drawing a clear boundary, and it's probably helpful. I mean, she's in a, a challenging position. She has um, said that she will reach out to North Korea. There is some expectation that she will um, uh, try to resume some of the humanitarian assistance that uh, was a hallmark of inter-Korean relationships uh, before the Kim young bak presidency, um, and maybe resume some of the commercial activities that were cut off after the Yongpyongdo. Shelling in the chonan incident, but at the same time she's the f- a female leader in northeast asia she's the first one so so I think there's a little bit of pressure on mm. her to even show she has to be even a little bit tougher at the same time that she would like to reach out to the DPRK uh, in a more conciliatory way than her predecessor.
0: DPRK, of course, the acronym for North Korea. Currently, let's leave it on on this note here. Uh, the, the key question of deciphering the intent of North Korea is trying to figure out if this is all domestic political consumption, some message they're delivering to their own people. People trying to work uh, to broker a deal with some leverage here on the nuclear question with the international community or if there actually is an intent to cross that border and open fire?
1: I don't think that there is an intent to to do that at this time. I think um, the new U.N. Security Council resolution is much farther reaching than one's Previously, one of the things I find very interesting is that even diplomatic staff are uh, under suspicion. So um, that's a real affront to a country's sovereignty when you put that right in a resolution. So I think um, they had to retaliate. The fact that they're retaliating rhetorically right now does not mean to me that they're necessarily right. seeking uh, uh, or preparing for military action. A
0: reassuring thoughts there from Karen Lee, executive. executive. Executive Director of the National Committee on North Korea. Thanks so much. Thank you. This is The Takeaway.
1: Though you may forget me,
0: you're still on my mind. So let's try to capture that moment 60 years ago when the events of this week were in a sense set in motion. Eddie Fisher's I'm Walking Behind You was a hit back in 1953. The Soviet Union's brutal dictator Joseph Stalin died that year. The vaccine for polio was discovered. In Rome, where he had fled, the Shah received the astounding news on August 19th that Iranian royalists, led by army troops, had overthrown the dictatorial premier. It was the allegiance. The Shah of Iran was restored to power in Tehran after a coup backed by the US CIA in 1953. And in the last week of July, war on the Korean Peninsula came to an end. On July 27, 1953, the final artillery shell of the campaign was fired with a rakish gesture by the weary UN troops. My fellow citizens, tonight we greet with prayers of thanksgiving the official news that an armistice was signed almost an hour ago in Korea. It will quickly bring to an end the fighting between the United Nations forces and the communist armies. President Dwight D. Eisenhower declaring the end of the Korean War, once called a police action by President Truman. It escalated into a major confrontation of the Cold War. The use of nuclear weapons was considered at various points by U.S. forces before the conflict ground to a stalemate after more than 54,000 American servicemen and women lost their lives. As we've said, the armistice that ended the fighting was never meant to be permanent. It was supposed to lead to actual peace talks between the North and South. But that never happened. Instead, this happened, a temporary border between North and South, the demilitarized zone. We were being attacked at night by North Koreans, throw hand grenades at us and so forth. The forage in the DMZ made it very difficult because the bad guys were coming within grenade range. You'd never know they were there until the grenade went off. The DMZ was featured in a BBC documentary. It's been the home for tens of thousands of U.S. troops for 60 years, hundreds of thousands of South Korean troops technically supervised by the Swiss and Swedish officers of the Neutral Nations Supervisory Committee. The DMZ remains the most heavily fortified border in the world.
1: Looks like a Hollywood backlot.
0: A Hollywood backlot, says President Ronald Reagan, visiting the DMZ in the 1980s something he probably first encountered in war movies. Four U.S. presidents have toured this strange and literal no-man's land, peering north, where U.S. soldiers are told that millions of North Korean soldiers are at the ready to stream south on orders from Pyongyang. President of South Korea, President Kim, has laid out a a long-term, gradual way of reunification that is clearly in, in the interest of the people on both sides of this great divide. Ironically, thinking about the events of this week, it was President Bill Clinton who tried to end the armistice back in the 90s and reunite the Koreas. But in the end, it was just another stalemate, this time over North Korea's nuclear program. President Obama visited the DMZ and its 28,000 U.S. troops just a year ago.
1: You guys are at at, at freedom's frontier. And the contrast between uh, South Korea and North Korea could not be could not be started.
0: This week, that freedom's frontier looks more like a tripwire for some wider conflict threatened by the leaders of North Korea. Threats that remind us once again that the Korean War never really ended. The last 60 years has only been a pause in the fighting, a freeze frame of history that could unfreeze, perhaps as quickly as the armistice began back in 1953. This is Ira Flato, host of Science Friday. For over 30 years, the Science Friday team has been reporting high-quality science and technology news, making science fun for curious people by covering everything from the outer reaches of space to the rapidly changing world of AI to the tiniest microbes in our bodies. Audiences trust our show because they know we're driven by a mission to inform and serve listeners first and foremost with important news they won't get anywhere else. And our sponsors benefit from that halo effect. For more information on becoming a sponsor, visit sponsorship.wnyc.org.